The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. The Olympics. Now, I want to play what are the odds here? Will they or will they not take place in July 2021? What do you think? I'd go for 70% that it wouldn't go on. Um, I, of course, personally, and um, from an economic perspective as well, would like to see it go on, as the government and municipal government of Tokyo says. Um, the loss could amount to well over, you know, um, 4.5 trillion yen, which is more than 1% or approximately 1% of our GDP. Welcome to the Mentor TV podcast and stay curious with Patricia Falco-Becali. Good to see you back for another episode from Crisis to Creation here on Mentory TV. I'm Patricia Falco-Becali, your host. And let me first of all say thank you to all of you out there. Your comments are amazing. You're so interactive. You share, you care. And if you do like what we do here at Mentory TV, keep on subscribing and also hit the bell button so I can keep you always informed about our newest videos. And today it's going to be a bit less featurey and more newsworthy here on Mentory TV because we're going to talk about the Summer Olympics of 2020 supposed to be held in Tokyo in the summer of 2020, postponed due to the COVID crisis to July 2021. But the question is, is it going to happen? Yes or no? I mean, the verdict is still not out there. And if you think about the actual organization, I think Tokyo, Japan in general, is estimated to have spent up to 35 billion US dollars. That is near hearsay. Some say 25, others say 35. But one thing for sure, the sponsorship ranges around 6 billion US dollars. So I thought there is more at stake than just going for gold. And this is why I invited Takeshita-san to the show here on Mentory TV. He is a university professor of Shizuoka, and he there looks after the School of Management and Information. Takeshita-san, so good to see you here on the show. Pleasure. Thank you for having me today. Well, let me first of all let our Mentory TV community a bit know about you. I mean, you are a university professor for the school I just mentioned, but you're also the professor for Graduate School of Management and Information of Innovation. Plus, and perhaps most importantly, um, you are the director of Shizuoka Rugby Football Association. And on top of that, you and I, we've known each other for, oh my God, almost 20 years when you were still with Mitsuo uh, International in London and I was still anchoring for CNBC in London. So it's really, really nice to have a bit of memory lane feeling with you here too. It's a it's a wonderful um, I would say opportunity and thank you. It's it's great to see you again and uh, the fact that uh, you're leading such a wonderful show. Um, it really is is nice to see. Well, thank you. Let's let's try to make this one really special. Um, 
the Summer Olympics. I mean, in, in terms of what the verdict is, before we look into this, and I said at the beginning of the show, we're going to be a little bit more newsworthy because we did have a little bit of an issue with sexist comments by the president of the Olympic Committee, uh, Maurice Sun, um, where the discussion was about including more women on the board. Um, and he said, well, women take so much time to explain everything. And is it a good idea? Dot, dot, dot. And and there was a huge backlash. And I think today is actually a meeting on the 12th of, uh, of February, this is where we are, a meeting mm -hmm. to decide whether or whether or not he's going to step down. You, um, Takashita-san, being Japanese, how do you evaluate the entire issue? Well, there was obviously an unfortunate gap of realization of reality of things. I mean, you look at the world, what was going on, for example, in the United States, right? Black Lives Matter movement and all these kind of issues, which is calling for equality. In Japan, where do we rank in gender equality? Very low. Lowest amongst OECD nations as far as utilization of women is concerned, especially in boardrooms or management. And we're yelling and screaming, saying that we have the lowest birth rate amongst OECD nations. Now, of course, we have to change and relax our immigration laws, etc. But we have a very good educated workforce right in front of us called women. So obviously, we really need to alter such an obsolete and wrong idea. And uh, it's, in my opinion, it's pretty good to see, in fact, that the, uh, the, the whole community is acting on this. And it's not only the foreign press or the foreigners that are making sound. No, no, it's a lot of Japanese themselves are really questioning this. And this is not only, for example, the opposition or those kind of people, but it, it's coming from all directions, which really shows that there is an obvious alternation or improvement in regards to, I would say, acknowledgement that we have to stop this, this you know, um, petty, I would say, prejudice because it's not going to do us any good. Um, and also, we look pretty bad on this if, if we continue like this. I mean, who'd want to be a host of, of a country that is way behind as far as, you know, the, the gender equality is concerned? So, uh, Morrison, to be fair, uh, did a pretty good job so far, but I think this was a very serious mistake. Do you think this is a circuit breaker? I mean, if I look at Japan from an outside point of view, all I see is innovation, high tech, and the way they came since really the mid-60s uh, onto the global onto the global playing field with fantastic uh, technological innovation. And on the other hand, this archaic treatment of women. Is this yeah. a circuit breaker? And why has that not shifted as well, the attitude towards women with that kind of uh, development we've seen? That's an excellent question, because what we're seeing in Japan and what we have been seeing in Japan and what we still see in Japan is that big gap. I mean, we have wonderful products. Uh, we are very innovative. Uh, we're leading, you know, uh, quite a lot of technology, you name it. And you get the image that we are extremely advanced and we are in those areas. But on the other hand, like I said, the utilization of women is lowest amongst OECD nations. We still do not have um, the equality of rights for like children. Um, when you divorce, one of the parents has to take charge of the kids, for example. And only North Korea and Japan does that in this region. Mm -hmm. um, and judicial system, there's a, 
so many things that you know Japan has not caught up with the norm, in my opinion. So there's this gap about this wonderful technology, innovative, you know,、uh, products and country which is well advanced with you know GDP of well over forty five thousand dollars per capita, and then you have this sudden like prehistoric type of you know、um, medieval type of you know ideology that still goes on. So this is a very big gap. Now I like to think of it as a positive sign because if we improve this medieval idea, ideology, societal system, and values, we still have a long way to go as far as growth is concerned. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it's so pivotal what you're saying, and that it is a long-rooted、um, problem. And I was talking to my husband about it, who lived in Japan for four years, and I said, "So, what does it really say about the relationship between men and women, even on a relationship basis, i.e., you know, marriage? Do they marry for love, or is that also so archaic?" Well, in Japan, as you know, we have a thing called arranged marriage. Still, that is fairly large. Family values are very, very important.、Um, but I must say here that it's not necessarily a masculine type of community. Now, if you look at the Japanese household, women have a very strong standpoint. In fact, in a lot of cases, much more so than the West.、Um, they're the one who basically holds many of them the wallet. A lot of Japanese husbands get allowances from their wives.、Um, no, seriously. And, yeah, no,、uh, yeah, yeah. I'm being quiet, but I'm laughing my head off. <laughs> This is why Takashi-chan goes seriously. <laughs> really? And, wow. Yeah.、Um, that's how it goes, and especially the younger generation. You know, which you have to really keep your your accounting, you know,、uh, clear and、uh, to the point.、Um, And so there's a lot of reverse inequality as well. There's a lot of issues where women are excessively protected, as in case of, like I said, marriage or divorce. You know,、um, for example, if you talk about shelters against domestic violence in Japan,、uh, like in case of Shizuoka, I know for a fact that there is, of course, a shelter from domestic violence, but only for women.、Mm-hmm. And approximately 20% of domestic violence come comes from women. So 20% of male is being just Thrown out in the street. Now, what I'm trying to say here is that it's these inequality or this prejudicism that you heard from Mr. Mori comes not only from this one-way treatment, but I would say the low recognition of gender equality as a whole. I'm not talking about women or men. It's just that, and also kids as well, children as well. I mean, there still isn't that that enough. I would say recognition in Japan. To to basically neuter that kind of equality and to basically address this issue,、uh, because many people want to just stick onto the societal values that they held on. And in case of Japan, what's most important is you don't rock the boat. In a lot of cases,、mm-hmm. yeah. The reason why Japanese productivity, especially non-manufacturing sector, is low. Is because of that reason. People say, "Oh, Japanese are very low in you know productivity." No, no. In manufacturing, we outcast Germans. We're very effective, but when it comes to non-manufacturing, we suddenly become horrible as far as you know productivity is concerned. Because in a lot of cases, productivity isn't the case. We work long hours to make sure that we are seen and treated as the member of that small group that you're working for. So you don't go home at 5 p.m. while other people are working. That's our societal value against work. And what I'm trying to say is that we need to alter 
these kind of issues. I'm not saying totally converted to the American style, for example, because they have their values. We're different from them. And there's a lot of positivity in these Japanese values. But that said, if that really erodes into things like inequality against women or men or to children, we have to change that. It's 2021. No, I, I do. I, I so agree with you. And it is true. What uh, what they say, as I said, as an outsider about Japanese, they don't like to tell you negative news. So it might be absolutely raining out there. And you ask them, is it raining out there? And they're like, mm, you know, kind of like <laughs> start stumbling. And it's, it's really endearing because they're always looking at uh, trying to keep harmonious rather than whistle blow and rock the boat, as you were saying. Uh, and it's interesting because there's many studies out there. Also, Amnesty in East Asia research, I, I read through this and they really try to pinpoint this discrimination against women as to, you know, coming back to a Morrison issue. Um, it, and it, there is something on the move. And this is why I asked you, Takeshita-san, right at the beginning, could this be now a circuit breaker where it's, uh, you know, not only on an international platform, but like a shift of Me Too in Japan and starts breaking out these, you know, 2021 issues that shouldn't be an issue anymore right now? I think it will be. And um, I think it was almost a good iconic incident. I don't want to really be harsh against Mr. Mori. He's done a lot of uh, positive issues as well, as far as Olympics and, you know, Rugby World Cup, all these things concerned. Uh, but um, I would say that um, if you look at from an opposite direction or opposite angle, his wording may have been very positive for the progress. It's almost like, uh, you know, constructive destruction. What he said was totally wrong, but for everybody to realize, and as you point out, for people to come out and say, hey, this is wrong, that is wrong. Because if you ask Japanese uh, female workers right now about this in the streets, they will tell you, happens every day. So maybe this was an incident, a wake-up call for many, especially with the outcry from the West and, you know, uh, international, you know, um, um, I would say criticism, maybe it's a good wake-up call. Maybe it's a good jab in the arm. They knew it, but they don't really realize it. And uh, may, in that sense, I think it might have been a very positive issue. Let me quickly interrupt the conversation to say thank you that you are here with me on the channel. If you do enjoy what I'm putting out, the in-depth kind of conversations, then why don't you subscribe and also hit the bell button so I can keep you informed with our newest releases. Thanks for that in advance. And let's get back to the conversation. Even Toyota coming out and saying what was said is not aligned with their own values, which is incredible. The biggest car maker in the world and, of course, the flagship or one of the flagship of the Japanese uh, economy. Okay, now let's get to what we actually were here to talk about. And I, I'm really happy you came with me through this kind of route and talked about this very news with the issue there. The Olympics. Now, I want to play what are the odds here? Will they or will they not take place in July 2021? What do you think? I'd go for 70% that it wouldn't go on. Um, I, of course, personally, and um, from an economic perspective as well, would like to see it go on, as the government and municipal government of Tokyo says. Um, the loss could mount to well over, you know, um, 4.5 trillion yen, which is more than 1% or approximately 1% of our GDP. And if you look at the indirect effect, it could be 2% of our GDP, but it's not only the monetary figures. It's a psychological and societal values because we were putting such high hopes for this. 
I mean, yeah, all Olympics are very important. I understand that. But the previous 1964 Tokyo Olympic was exactly that. It was opening of New Japan, where they ignited something totally new to what we are right now. And many people are expecting this to happen this time around as well, because we were going through the decade of, I would say, stagnation or two decades of stagnation. Many people say it's a lost two decades. So people are hoping that this could be an ignition of something new. But I think it's it's becoming tough. When you ask people last year, yes, they were still hoping that it would go on. But with this resurgence of new types of you know coronavirus coming in and the waves getting bigger and then lower and then bigger again, people are really starting to wonder. Um, and I would say approximately 70%, there are various polls on this, but I would say approximately 70% of the Japanese are against opening the Olympics and, uh, you know, is going for, you know, like postpone it or maybe basically canceling it altogether. Absolutely. So Absolutely, Takashita-san. And let me just give you the latest I could see. Um, it was done last weekend, February 6 and 7, by Kyoto News Survey. And there are 47% think the Olympics uh, should actually be postponed again. 35.2%, so more than a third, think they should be cancelled altogether, and only about 14.5% say they should be held as planned. But I don't know what you heard, but I heard that if you, you can't postpone it anymore. If it's not done this summer, that's it. And that would be, from what you were just saying about the value point of view, apart from the entire economic, which we're going to talk about as well, impact would be a disaster. I think it would be, but uh, then you have to wait which is more important, health and life of the Japanese public and also, you know, many of the players and related people or, you know, people who's visiting Japan, um, or do you just go for the economic value? Uh, obviously, former is more important, but there's a balance to that, uh, uh, you know, the R value that we have to think of. But it's very, very tricky if you think about, you know, the number of countries and many of the regions that are being coming in. And will they have enough, you know, uh, vaccines make, make sure that things are OK by then? That's a big question that, you know, that needs to be answered. And uh, with a new type of, you know, coronaviruses that's emerging as well, yeah. the Japanese are backing off. I mean, you look at the Japanese mind, mindset. And we are the most conservative people in the world, in many in many sense, uh, very much risk avoidant. So if you look at the characteristic of that, you can easily understand that people are backing off very, very quickly. Approximately 40% of corporations are also starting to say that maybe we shouldn't do this. Um, and of course, they're the ones who really want to propel this. But, uh, you know, I think it's, it's becoming very clear that um, as you just pointed out, if they're not going to do it this year, then obviously it will be canceled and possibly looking at 2032. Yeah. And if I hear you right, it becomes more and more a reputational issue. So people, even the sponsors are starting to move away from, okay, this is so much money at stake and we spend so much or whatever the impact is to lives first. And if you don't portray that, yeah, that uh, uh, that you are looking after the athletes, the people, whatever, first, then it might actually be a long-standing um, issue for your reputation. What did you choose? Were you just after the money and just in, uh, in brackets? Um, or are you really looking out for the good of the global health? And it is, it is a big issue. And if I look at the numbers, uh, Takeshita-san, honestly, um, almost six billion US dollars in sponsorship and then the amount of money that was spent... Um, to really revive the economy. And that brings me to the point you just uh, were saying, because we had, you know, Abe 
Abenomics uh, really trying to get out of this deflationary um, economy for which happened for 10, 15 years before he came in. Where are we right now and how much of an impact do really, um, will really this, this loss have? You said 1% of GDP, but if I look at the, the coronavirus impact and how it already drags the 2020 numbers down, potentially 2021 numbers down, that's substantial. Well, I think, unfortunately, the world is going to be similar to Japan in the sense that this ultra-low interest policy will be, you know, perpetuated almost. Um, this is a study by, I think it was a San Francisco um, Fed, Federal Reserve, which basically reported that, you know, usually in these very big pandemics, um, the prolongment of pressure to lower the interest rate will continue for like two decades of approximately 1%, 1 to 1.5%. So it's going to be very clear that as we're mounting the debt, all countries are mounting their debt because of their subsidies and you know support and what have you. And Japan as well, we already have well over 200% of our debt to GDP. And we cannot afford to have the rates go up. So we will continue to sustain the low rates. And I think this is going to continue. And uh, as you point out, Will the demand be reviving back? That's a very big question. So you'll see companies that are reluctant to make a very positive move on capital expenditure at this point. So if you put these things together, corporations may not be really willing to invest that much, but interest rates are very, very low. They're artificially kept low. What's going to happen? What you're seeing right now is share price going up very, very strongly. And that we know is quite artificial because it's not backed by the real demand, as you just pointed out, of you know how the real economy is going to emerge. So this is another, I think, danger point that you know we have to be careful about because um, no one is going to be the first one to raise the rates uh, around the world. And uh, you know this is it could be the situation where the world is going in to a situation where Japan went in approximately 15 years ago. Um, which is not a very pretty picture, to say the least. Yeah, and if we if we pinpoint it, the pretty uh, the unpretty picture, would it mean that we are going into a continued recession or deflation, or do we have then because of the easy money uh, potentially yes inflation, but without growth? Well, I'd say you know if we see stagflation, that would be the worst situation. Yeah. But I think the central banks are well coordinated, and uh, that's one at least positive thing. Um, so they will try to basically clamp down on any emergency issues that may that may arise. But what it's also telling you is that they're going to prolong this situation. And if we prolong this situation, I think there will be even further inequality. The first thing that we were talking about today inequality that is going to re-emerge uh, because people who have those assets uh, you know that are um, be it the equities or land or what have you which might be strong against like inflation you just mentioned then inequality is going to widen again yes and if that happens and if that continues to well I'll make it very clear countries like like southern Europe we're going to see this emergence of the you know PIG problem that we saw before. Uh, that could possibly trigger a very negative knock-on effect to the world economy or the financial sector as a whole. Uh, that's what I'd be fearing about very much, about the long-term negative consequences of this you know, uh, ultra-low rate policy that all countries have to abide by, basically.
Yes, and it's happening in a time where a lot of the central banks still trying to soak up the liquidity they were pumping into the economy after the financial crisis. So that wasn't even done yet. And now we have the next situation being handled exactly the same way. And that is definitely a, a big problem. And I, uh, you know, I mean, you're the expert there. And I just uh, got the latest figures out there that uh, at the moment, the estimation of the global, um, uh, the global debt is at an all-time high. You know, Surprise there of 275 trillion US dollars. I mean, yep, that's um, that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I don't want to basically adopt or at least back up the policy of saying that we have to reduce debt, you know, constantly because, again, as there was a failure of uh, you know, policy by you know, um, EU in regards to its, its, its policy against you know, Southern Europe. Where they're saying that you know the 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 debt itself is going to be the illness of growth. We yeah. know now that you know the the journals that they based their argument on was false. So I'm not going to say that you know oh we should exclude all the debt as was in case with a lot of Japanese companies after the pop of the bubble they exceedingly did that. Um, so we need some healthy amount of you know debt to a certain degree. But if we keep mounting it and also sustaining a low interest rate policy for quite a long time, I think that illness um, could erupt into something that's very, very serious. Um, and that's, again, what I'm fearing the most at this moment. Yeah, SB. exactly. I mean, you can have debt. It's like in a, in a normal household. I mean, you can have debt, but you do have to have the income, the productivity, and just the GDP growth. And this is why we have that ratio that needs to be somehow in balance. And if it's out of balance, which, which seems to be uh, the direction, then long-term uh, is going to be everything but good. Now, you mentioned that Kishita-san equities are doing awfully well without, you know, PE ratios are incredibly high. And so the underlying businesses might not really reflect what is being paid for them on the stock market. But where do you go? I mean, when we worked together at uh, you at Mizuo and me at CNBC, and we talked about Japanese equities, I mean, you look at the general equity market, where do you go if not equities in order to make money? And do you think that uh, as long as we have low interest rates, this potential bubble that is being built in the equity market is going to continue? Well, I would say that, you know, if we're really worried about, you know, the possibility of this really going nasty and creating hyperinflation, then obviously you'd want to place your, you know, uh, asset into real estate uh, and also to some of the equities, but also diver uh, diverting uh, your, your single currency option to various other option uh, currency as well. Um, so for the Japanese, I'm recommending that you need to alter your savings, for example, to maybe other currency as well to balance it off. Because at this point, there's no one, you know, even if you have a magic wand you wouldn't be able to determine, you know, uh, which country is going to go south uh, in, in that sense. But I would say those are the options. But uh, even that said, I still have a lot of doubts about, you know, issues. I think what we need to really see is, um, I would say, the polarization of growth in many sense. Uh, I think we really need to look at, for example, like in equity market, some of the com companies or, you know, countries or what have you, which basically do have the fundamental, you know, the the energy power to, to and also their, their core competence that could be revealing um, in the future, I know it's easier said than done, 
but you could actually determine these things, especially when, for example, equity market is doing strong. You get blurred because you get all these new theories that justifies the position <laughs> all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, we should really scrap that in many sense and look at things in a much more long-term fundamental core competence. Uh, and then really that, that should really polarize the likes and dislikes of, for example, you know, the, the companies. Um, um, that, that would be my, my choice, really, um, going yeah. back to the equity side. Yeah. yeah. And what I mean, I, I'm an investor. I invest in companies um, and I invest in the stock market as well. And what I look at is what are the mega trends? What, what has been basically established over the last few years and what has been pushed or pushed up or pushed down also due to uh, that severe corona crisis? What would you say are the mega trends right now? And that wraps up the first part of my conversation with Takashita-san about the likelihood if the Summer Olympics of 2020 are going to go ahead in 2021 and the economic repercussions about it. And if you do like our conversations here on Mentory TV, I have with my fantastic guests, well, why don't you join us by subscribing, hitting the bell button, and then I can always keep you informed about our latest guests and video releases. Share us, like us, and please continue to send us your fantastic comments and suggestions for potential guests. I really appreciate it and I use it for co-creating Mentory TV. We spend a third of our lives sleeping and dreaming, yet most of us have no idea what goes on during that time. I'm Kelly Sullivan Walden, and as a dream expert and best-selling author, I'm here to empower you to mine the gold from your nighttime dreams. Join me on the Kelly Sullivan Walden Show, part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, available wherever you get your podcasts. Until we meet again, don't take your dreams lying down.